Our scripture reading for tonight is from 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 6, and Psalm 51. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and said, and once said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite and Joab sent Uriah to David. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Advent is a season of longing. Our scriptures and our carols, our prayers, our liturgies, all long for the coming of Christ into the world. And during Advent, we remember that our deepest longings are satisfied in Christ. We'll sing Christmas Eve, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. 
But what, what does that actually mean? What are we really saying when we, we say that every year? Well, this year I thought we'd, we'd take a little different approach to Advent. Normally we uh, look at the, the beautiful Advent texts or we look at a particular passage like Luke 2 or Philippians 2. This year I thought we'd step back and say, well, what are some of the most important human longings, some of the most powerful human longings, and how could those longings be satisfied in, in Jesus? And uh, I thought we'd look to David as a guide because uh, he talks about so many of his longings in the Psalms and we get a little bit of his context from the history of his life in 2 Samuel. And so last Sunday we started, we were talking about the longing for hope. And next week we'll talk about the longing for uh, home, and then the last week we'll talk about the longing for justice, and tonight we'll talk a little bit about the longing for intimacy, and particularly sexual intimacy, and this will be more of a, just a, a meditation uh, rather than going too far on the subject, but I thought that is one of the most important human longings. How could the coming of Christ relate to that Longing. What's the relationship between uh, our sexuality and our spirituality? Well, a 20-something Christian summarized what she had learned in church about this, and she said, uh, the soul is good, the body is bad. Fear what your body wants. And I've had a number of those conversations over the years where this idea that somehow this part of ourselves is, uh, is dirty. Uh, and actually, that kind of teaching has been a part of the Christian church almost from the beginning. Very early on, there was this idea that our, our longings for sexual intimacy came from the fall, that they were stained and dirty. And so you, you quickly had a two-tier system set up where really spiritual people who could resist those carnal desires would become priests, monks, and nuns, and then uh, average people that weren't strong enough uh, didn't. And so that's kind of been built into the Christian uh, worldview for many years, even though it's based on an error. Now, another young person shared with me a confusing message that they'd heard about this question of the relationship of sexuality, spirituality, They said, uh, what I heard was this, before your marriage, sexual longing is to be resisted, fought off, repelled as an almost demonic threat to your soul. And then if you marry the day of your wedding, sexual longing is now a precious gift to be wildly embraced. And that's confusing. (laughs) You think? Well, every, uh, every approach has its flaws, and so I... I've said, let's use David as an example, but the problem here is that the only example we have from David's life of this is is not a healthy one at all, of course. It's a a tragic one. Uh, We read the story of of David's failure in 2 Samuel 11 to 12. David sees a woman bathing. He desires her. He sins for her. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. David kills her husband, essentially. He marries Bathsheba. They lose their first child, eventually give birth to Solomon. Um, 
And then the prophet Nathan confronts David and, and says, uh, this was a horrible thing that you've done. The thing David had done displeased the Lord, the narrator says. And it's interesting to reflect on this story. I, I, I've noticed that in years past, I've, I've maybe talked about David's adultery or David's affair. Um, but I wonder if that's really what, what is happening in this story. As a matter of fact, I don't, I don't think that it, that it is. Uh, we get a clue that something is, is off here. In the very first verse, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So David was a warrior. Uh, he, he was built for this. Uh, that's what he was supposed to be doing in the spring. But at this point in his story, he's a decorated general. And he's defeated Saul. And he's kind of backed off. And he's checked out, and he's, he appears to be kind of empty and aging and bored and soft and looking for trouble. And the text just says that he sees a beautiful woman bathing, but in, 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 in uh, that culture, uh, there was a Torah command to ritually purify after a woman's menstrual cycle. You almost certainly would not take a, uh, be naked when you're doing it it had to be done it would be done on the roof because people didn't have bathrooms <laughs> she's not doing anything wrong um, th- th- there is no sense at all in what she's inviting this David is just not where he's supposed to be and the text says that David sent messages to to get her or take her or the Hebrew translated can be translated he summoned her or commanded her to come and so there, there's no sense here of anything consensual going on. This is a, he's demanding that she come. He is the king, and she has no choice. And the prophet Nathan points out to him his evil. He says, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? And then David writes Psalm 51 as a, as a confession. And he says, cleanse me from my sin. My sin is always before me. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. But it's interesting in this psalm, he never says, take this filthy desire from me or drive far from me these passions. Or He never says anything about that that would indicate that the desire is evil. He asks confession for his sin. And what we do here in his prayer is that his disordered sexuality has separated him from God. That seems to be what he's most interested in, is that he seems to understand that his longings for God have become distorted, and he's tried to fulfill them in the wrong way, and it's led to a tremendous problem. And And he says, against you, you only have I sinned. I've I've often wondered why he started there. Um, He clearly sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and the whole community that he was shepherding. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. You know, the Psalms are inspired, but they're also by flawed people. And maybe at this point, 
He doesn't fully understand the impact of what's happened. Uh, I, I really don't know. Um, but it is interesting that he quickly makes this about he and God. And he, he quickly frames it as a distortion or a break of covenant between he and God. Um, he connects his sexuality and his spirituality. Deborah Hirsch explores this relationship between sexuality and spirituality in, in her book, Redeeming Sex. And she says, spirituality can be described as a vast longing that drives us beyond ourselves in an attempt to connect with our world and the eternal other. Essentially, it is a longing to know and to be known by God. Sexuality can be described as the deep desire and longing that drives us to connect with that which is other than ourselves. It is a longing to know and be known by another. The Hebrew word yada, to know, is in fact used for both sexual intercourse and our relationship with God. Sexuality and spirituality are two sides of the same coin. Both express a deep longing to know and to be known. One of the things that I think the Bible is very clear on is that God creates us to long, to desire, to hunger, to thirst. We are made in the image of God. We're made to be in relationship with him. So we are desiring beings. Uh, Isaiah 68, 11, uh, may God satisfy your desire in the scorched places. Proverbs 13, 2, A desire fulfilled is the very tree of life. Desires that go unmet make the heart sick. John 6.35, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. So David doesn't repent of being thirsty or longing or desiring or having these needs. He repents of their distortion. And I think that's important. God created us to be longing, thirsting, desiring beings. And so sexual longing is God-given. Sexual longing is holy. Sexual longing is, is good. It's a gift from God that can help us move towards God. Matter of fact, the first eight chapters of the Song of Solomon um, celebrate that metaphor of relating to God. Uh, Israel is described in the Old Testament as God's lover. The church is described as the bride of Christ who will be finally joined with her husband to consummate the marriage at the marriage supper of of the Lamb. So all of that to say is that sexual longing is good. It's not shameful. It's a beautiful gift of God. And so when the early church teachers that taught that sexual longing was filthy were wrong. They were just simply wrong. Of course, the Bible teaches that sexual longings to be fulfilled within the covenant of marriage. Um, Tonight, we're not really talking about marriage. We're asking, okay, what do I do with this longing? How how can it lead me to Jesus? Okay, um, let's go back to Advent. During Advent, we celebrate the incarnation, God becoming flesh. So Advent is about love. Advent is about 
God chasing us, seeking us, pursuing us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his son. 1 John 4.9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. God sent his son. John 1.18, no one's ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side has made him known. So let's try to put this together. Our sexual longing is a desire to be loved, to be known, to be accepted, to be held, to be lost in the embrace of a loving other. And Jesus has made it possible for us to know God this way. I corresponded recently with a friend who is bravely and faithfully overcoming a sexual addiction. And his journey uh, to freedom has included some deep reflection about his own sexual longings and how they are ultimately fulfilled in God. And his, some of his remarks were so thoughtful, I asked for his permission to share them uh, anonymously. And here is just a paragraph from one of our emails. Um, he says, for me, sexual intimacy and drawing near to God are inextricably linked. Over many sessions with my therapist, he helped me see for the first time in my life that I was never pursued by my father, either physically, emotionally, or spiritually, and my sexual acting out behavior later filled that void as I entered a world of lust. I was longing to be pursued, to be chased, to be held, to feel wanted, to be loved, but lust perverted all of those longings into sexual fantasies. My therapist asked me how often my dad played chase with me as a kid. I don't think he ever did. He told me the kids don't play chase with their father for fun. They play chase because they want to be caught. (laughs) Boy, is that true. I have learned that our deepest longings are for intimacy with God to be pursued, chased, held, wanted, and loved by our Father, who is the only one that can satisfy all our desires. So sexual longing is a gift from God. It points us towards God. Jesus is the expression of the love of God to us and makes it possible for that deep longing to be satisfied. And this can be helpful to remember when our sexual desires are disordered. Healing from disordered sexual desire involves redirecting our desires to the true source of fulfillment. Uh, Christopher West explores this theme in the book, Fill These Hearts, God, Sex, and the Universal Longing. And he says, one of the things God wants to show us is that behind all our misdirected desires and lusts, There is a legitimate desire God put there and wants to satisfy. Uncovering that legitimate desire and entrusting its satisfaction entirely to God is critical to our healing and wholeness. That is a beautiful truth and and every person I know that's experienced healing from disordered sexuality uh, as a Christian would say it's ultimately had something to do with reordering their relationship with God. And I think David, 3,000 years ago, was, was talking about that. But, you know, if we just end it here, sometimes I think we can kind of sentimentalize this and almost be cruel. Uh, again, the church has always taught that, that sexual longings are fulfilled in the covenant of marriage. But, but over half of the body of Christ is single, and that 
That number is only increasing and will only continue to increase. So sometimes I fear that a, a subject like this is, can kind of be a cruel almost. And then you say almost, well, you know, Jesus' love ought to be enough for you. Um, Wesley Hill has written a chapter about loneliness that I have read many times. It's, it's probably the most profound writing I've ever read on, on loneliness. And in it, he shares an email he wrote to a friend during a time in his life when he was feeling especially lonely. He's a single man. He says to his friend, yes, the love of God is better than human love. I agree, that's true. I think the friend had just said, I know you're single, but take comfort, God loves you. Yes, you're right, that's true, but that doesn't change the fact that I feel in the deepest parts of who I am that I'm wired for human love. I want to be married. And the longing isn't mainly just for sex, it's mainly for the day-to-day small kinds of intimacy where you wake up next to the person you've pledged your life to and then you brush your teeth together and you read a book in the same room without necessarily talking to each other. You share each other's small joys and heartaches. It's the loss of these small kinds of intimacies that can feel devastating. His work as a writer has been uh, to explore how can intimacy with Christ satisfy this deep longing that that we have, uh, and his, his follow-up to this is a book called Spiritual Friendship and a blog called Spiritual Friendship, and, and I find myself often going there because he, he and, and several others write very movingly um, about a depth of relationship, a, a kind of community, community that we could share as believers that would satisfy some of these deep, deep longings for human intimacy. Because, of course, sexuality is just one small part of the need for intimacy. And he points out that in the history of the church, uh, often the church did a much better job of providing intimate community uh, for, for, for single folks. And so maybe as we, as we end here with this meditation on Advent, and our longing for God, and that sexual desire is an echo of a deeper desire for God's love, and that the source of that love is revealed in Jesus, maybe we also could just leave tonight with a a hope and a prayer, if not a commitment, to become a community where spiritual friendship occurs, so that I don't hear this story, and I've I've heard this story maybe a hundred times in my ministry. And it goes something like this. I was at my small group last night, and it was so rich. This is from a single person. I've heard it over and over again. It was so rich. I love these people. They love me. But when I left, I went home to an empty house, and they went home and went to bed with their partner, and I felt so alone. And I just wonder what it would look like to to be a community. And I think there's places where this is teased out, but I wonder what it looked like where spiritual friendship was practiced to the extent that some of these deep longings for intimacy were met in a fuller way. Let's pray.
dear God, first, um, thank you for making us thirsty people. Thank you for making us hungry. Thank you for giving us longings. We're not rocks. We're not computers. We're image bearers, and we long, and we thirst, and we hunger. And I almost used the quote tonight where C.S. Lewis says, the problem isn't that our desires are too strong. It's that they're too weak. And we try to satisfy them in the wrong ways. So, Lord, tonight, I just pray you'd wash over us and every place where people feel filthy or dirty or judged or shamed because of their desires. I pray you'd cleanse that. That's not true. It's not what the Bible says. And then, Lord, everywhere our desires are disordered. I just pray for mercy. I just pray for a gentleness, a gentle awakening. That what we really want is a deep connection with you. And finally, Lord, I pray that we'd be the kind of family where people don't feel so alone. That you might reweave us as we come out of the pandemic. You might re-knit the garment together. Lord, we're trying to do programs to do that and figure all of that out. And I confess, I don't know how to do it. I just pray that we as a people would reach out, maybe just to one person, bring them into our life. We ask this all in your name. Amen.